Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Carboca. With a 100% satisfaction guarantee and currently rated five stars across all of their products on Amazon.com, including face washes, face lotions, acne products, shaving cream, and aftershave, specially formulated for men's skin. But we haven't tested it on grayscale yet. Yet. Their products are made with all natural ingredients that feature none of the harsh chemicals or oils that traditional skincare products rely on. And all products include the cleansing power of activated charcoal, which is pretty cool because it absorbs dirt, chemicals, toxins, and harmful oils from your skin so they can be gently washed away. Hannah and I are sitting in the same room right now. I actually travel with, a, I don't know, it's about two pints right now of activated charcoal with me to use, you know. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> and when Carboca sent over their lineup of products a couple of weeks ago for us to try, it just fit right in the routine, and it's, it's what I use now. It's my favorite stuff. You can get free shipping throughout the continental U.S., and it's made right here in the U.S.A. Their products are available on Amazon as well as through Carboca.com. And don't forget to use coupon code Viserion at checkout. Emmett, let me tell you something. All right. Every time we sit down to record, Zach goes, Hannah, you should start, knowing full well that I'm not going to start start the episode i like and your he vibe does it every time i like your vibe i do <laughs> i like your vibe emmett thank you so much for coming on the show today all shucks thanks for having me we've been so excited to have you on with us everyone listening this is poor quentin the poor quentin emmett booth rock star dread kind. pirate of con of thrones slash the world you're writing for Vulture this season. What are you? What's going on, man? Uh, yeah, Deadspin actually this season. Deadspin. That's been going really well. It's yeah, it's been fun covering this. It's uh, it's been an intense season, both in highs and lows. And it's, it's um, the the shorter episodes have definitely kind of I think made people feast with a certain desperation on the episodes we've gotten more than in previous seasons, especially as we get near the end. So it's been fun to take part in that for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that the leaks? I believe there were two has pulled away from many of the. I guess, fervor mid-season? I think it says, I guess, something of a dampening effect. I think it always reorients itself by the time we get to Sunday. But there is definitely frustrations in terms of people, you know, spoiling others. And then the few days before that, I don't get what, I don't get the appeal of watching a low resolution leak of a show that's like largely hinging on its visuals and the spectacle. That seems like kind of defeating the purpose to me, even beyond the ethics of sharing it. But yeah. Especially this season. Yeah, exactly. I heard that the music wasn't, piped in very well either yeah and that's another big draw of the show so why would why would i not just wait two days and watch the real thing i just want to know you know you want to know about the night king you want to yeah. know about how much he is bran stark <laughs> you gotta get you gotta, <laughs> gotta, gotta <laughs> that way but like it's you know that shit needs to be tied to the visuals i think to have the real impact that you want so right. i would i would rather wait but yeah it's that's definitely been annoying for sure no question about that this is part two of beyond the wall Technically, the Magnificent Seven charging forward, the Night King lancing with expert marksman accuracy. And we're also really close to the end of the season, as in it's tomorrow. <laughs> so I know, Emmett, you haven't been with us on any of our episodes this season. So I would love to hear 
overall thoughts on the season and more specifically how you felt like episode six stacked up against everything else so far. There's been a lot to enjoy this season. There's been a lot of like really kind of sweet, lovely character moments, especially with uh, the Hound and Tyrion, uh, sometimes with Sansa. That story's been really inconsistent. And the spectacle's been really top-notch again with the fewer episodes. I think they've concentrated what they wanted to do in a handful of really intense and distinctive set pieces, which have been overwhelming, like the Field of Fire or the the battles in the most recent episode, Beyond the Wall. Um, I think there's certain problems with the writing that have kind of dampered my enjoyment of those things. Uh, The Mm -hmm. the Winterfell plotline with Arya and Sansa has been kind of tedious for me because it's pretty clearly just leading to Littlefinger dying. And I don't really know why he's still around or why any character keeps him around. Because it seems like everyone knows he's evil now. Like, there's not, not even a suspension of disbelief with his intentions, and but he's still there, evil vizier-ing on everyone's mm-hmm. shoulders. Yeah. I'm wondering why he just doesn't go to Karth at this point. Or, yeah, just, you know, run off to Harrenhal or back to the Vale. It just, it's, I get the sense that he's dead already in the books at this point, and, like, they're kind of stretching him out for something to do, which, which I think they're probably also doing with Cersei, but that's much more for, forgivable because you an amazing actress, and the, she as a character is just so enjoyable to watch that she can stick around as long as they want her to, basically. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty much always... A, I mean, that's the, the cast is... I mean, I talked about the visuals and the score, but the cast is the real strength of the show. And even when the writing is a little a little shaky, they definitely carry it. Where do you stand on the side of things? I feel like the Game of Thrones community, at least the branch of it that our shows and writings and et cetera interact with on a regular basis, appear to be kind of split down the middle of understanding that these sort of inconsistencies happen and it's fine. Let's still enjoy it. And I feel like there's a, there may be another branch that at this point are just kind of fed up and curious about the inconsistencies being kind of a, not, I guess not a good indicator of what could be to come. Oh, sure. I mean like, you know, you, there's easy, it's easy to harp on small things and like, you can do that for fun, but that's not really, that's, I mean, you know, that's every show and that's the books too. I've, you know, have inconsistencies and problems. Like, I mean, there's the, in the first book, like there's mentioned a, a sellsword army that was working for Tywin that went over to Rob after he took Riverrun, and then they're never mentioned again. And Martin Amici just forgot about them completely. So like that, you know, that happens, and that's fine. But like more, it's like I don't know. It's like character, like like Arya going full blank-eyed murder robot, and like <laughs> stalking around, like mocking Sansa for liking possessions, as if Arya didn't invest her soul in a sword that she got from Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a little, like, there's certain, it's, it kind of, it just, there's certain moments where it just, like, takes the character's basic traits and amps them up to 11, which can be awesome, but also sometimes can have a distorting effect on, like, your overall relationship to them. Um, and I think, I think there's, there's been bits and pieces of that this season where it's like, you know, they, they just, they, they, they push a character to a point where it's no longer kind of ambiguous or suspenseful, but more just kind of, eh, that doesn't. I just I just feel bad now for you know, for no real upshot, and, that, mm-hmm. and again that happens in the books too. It can be hard to to calibrate that kind of thing. Totally, I feel like specifically in this episode though, it was very divisive amongst people. Of let's enjoy it for what it is, and we can't take it anymore. You know, like has anybody else felt that way? I felt like more so than any other one this season. There was such a massive split between people who, between what people were thinking about this season as a whole do you believe that it was due to the fact that what happened beyond the wall was obviously such a task to do 
such a well-planned thing. And inside of that, there were, I guess, small things that seemed very painfully obvious to some people that needed to not be that way. And it was because of I think it's the opposite. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm not sure what you think, but I feel like for me, it was this task that was confusing like the the reasoning behind it and all of kind of the mechanics behind it were confusing but packed inside of that were some really amazing character moments yeah yeah the character stuff was amazing in this episode like all the little conversations they had before that led up to the fight were great all the little dynamics that you know paid off eventually in the course of the fight and yeah like it's just you know these are good characters to bounce off each other with the john and jor's history with his dad or Tormund just kind of being horny and drunk at everybody <laughs> always works well. Or the hound just like telling everyone to fuck off, but also wanting a hug. Like, you know, they're just, they're, yeah. those are always just good dynamics. Um, but yeah, bring, like bringing a zombie below the wall to convince everyone just like, I mean, Cersei has a zombie as everyone has been pointing out on the internet for like the last, last week. Like she has one standing right next to her at all times. Like, and she's Cersei. Like you, you could, you could hold up the entire army of the others in front of her face and she'd still say, no, I hate Tyrion more than that because she's exactly. she's Cersei. Like, this is her whole engine of living. She's not... If your plan is, let's let's have a calm, rational conversation with Cersei Lannister, you've already lost the whatever the plan was. I mean, it's definitely heroic and I get the theme behind we're going to, you know, come together and do the great thing for humanity, but, I mean, we'll see in, in, in the finale, but it's it's definitely not going to work, and I don't understand why they would, why Tyrion especially would think this is going to work on Cersei. Why Jaime and Tyrion think? I mean, I guess Jaime has just still got the blinders on, as far as Cersei. I guess still, but I mean, she's like, I get, I would get it if like you were bringing it before, like let's bring the weight to the lords of Westeros, let's bring it to the small folk of Westeros, and we, you know, the High Sparrow is still around, let's bring it to him and get. But it's specifically if you're trying to convince Cersei, yeah, that seemed like an odd. An odd, an odd spark for the getting together of these characters, and once, but once they were together, yeah, I mean, you didn't that, care. That that definitely overwhelmed. You know, I just wish, I wish that the the problem wasn't in this episode. It was great. The, I think the problem might come in the finale when it becomes evident that Cersei doesn't give a crap. So this leads really nicely into our before we get deeper into this, our first discussion question, which we posted on Watchers and on our Facebook page, which says, "Will Cersei be convinced of the threat beyond the wall? What is she planning?" And it's interesting Emmett that you you say that because I feel like so much of the conversation that was had around this question on watchers was if she is or she isn't convinced it doesn't really matter you know like that that her actions aren't going to be swayed or changed or her strategy isn't going to be different just because she understands that this is a thing anymore and so whether or not they're quote-unquote successful isn't going to change anything in Cersei's eyes yeah that's a great point i mean even if she believes it again given that this is cersei her reaction will be okay great let them <laughs> take over the north while i sit here and you know guard the two places or so that i actually give a shit about and i will let you know let let john and daenerys bleed themselves against the magical ice demons while i hide out here with my wildfire and my zombie and my and wine I, and my wine and like that's that's you know in my in my pirate fleet that i will you know that, like that's you know, Cersei just she she hunkers on what she's got and she just defends it, you know, like a wildcat, which it works really well when her back is up against the wall against someone like Ned or Tyrion. But like once she's in charge and you see that in the books, too, she doesn't really know what to do anymore because 
she was always about fighting against someone and always about, you know, sometimes with real justification, like with Robert, you know, taking down whoever was in her way. But yeah, she's like, she's not going to, her instinct is always, always going to be defensive at this point now that she's got what she's wanted. I don't think she's going to, I think you're absolutely right. Even if she believes she's not going to send her armies north or like work with Danny or John on anything. How comfortable are you with John and other loved ones entering King's Landing with Cersei post conversation with Jamie, sort of agreeing that we've pretty much lost this and not knowing about the White Walkers still. She's like, okay, well, we're going to go down. And so if we do, we're going to go down swinging, if that's the case. How comfortable are you with your loved ones, John, and friends entering King's Landing right now in this season finale? Yeah, that's that, that's definitely a, a hair-raising setup. I mean, she's probably going to try something. I mean, not, I think, I mean, John and Danny got a bone at some point in this episode, so they got to stay alive. <laughs> they have to. Yeah. They have to. I mean, they held hands. So what's next, right? <laughs> but maybe maybe that'll come first. I mean, at this point, like I, I looked at the Beyond the Wall in the same way, where there there was a certain clinical, like, all right, who who needs to stick around for the next season? Who can they afford to kill off in such a way that they can convince us of the stakes, but not kill anyone they need? That's why Thoros died. Well, and I love Thoros. Did he, that? You know, it was very I love sad. Thoros. Near and dear to my heart, the the drunk priest. But he, you know, he was also the least prominent of those characters. Um, so he made sense for that role. You're looking who's in King's Landing? Yeah, maybe they'll kill off a supporting character. In some in some fashion, I, I worry that uh, the uh, Sir Davos isn't going to survive to the end, which would suck because I love him too. Yeah, that would be rough. I can't even. I'm not even going to comment. Yeah, I don't want that. to. In the books, he's still got a wife and couple kids to return to, but in the show, he got the one kid. And I don't think his wife's ever been mentioned, so he doesn't have that mm-hmm. same kind of hook. So maybe he might be a casualty. I do think that we're talking about the stakes in in episode six, and. You know, we had we. I, I think going into the episode, I thought a lot more people were going to die. I felt like Thoros obviously is is one that is important and sad, but I f- was expecting much more intensity. And so, I think my question is: what I've been thinking a lot about this week is: are we going to have to pay for that on Sunday because mm-hmm. you know we didn't get much of it this last week or is that just kind of how the season is going because we need a lot of these folks for the end game at this point and yeah we've been talking about a lot about Littlefinger and we can say Davos which stresses me out to the max but you know who else is in line or is are we not going to worry about that because that's just kind of how the season has gone and it'll just be a bloodbath next season. I'm just going to go ahead and come out and say it. Gregor Clegane is going to fucking die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bastard. Get hype. Get hype. <laughs> no, that's a good question. Maybe I think not. Littlefinger's probably the big death of this one, if I had to guess. We've all just been like begging for that to happen for weeks. This is true. It will be cathartic, even if I have my issues with the buildup. I've been waiting in both both mediums to watch that man die for quite some time. So. <laughs> That will be highly enjoyable. In Winterfell. Indeed. There is that there is a prophecy in the books about the Sansa slaying a savage giant in a castle made of snow, so we'll see how that pays off. Prophecy is all my dreams will come true. It will be a delight for sure. But yeah, I mean I think that no, it's a fair point. A lot of the characters I mean, you know, the the, the core John, Dany, Tyrion, Arius, Sansa Brand, they're sticking around. Um I doubt they're killing off Brienne and Pod or like any of Dany's maybe I mean, Danny's a supporting cast. Like, Grey Worm is definitely marked for death at some point 
purely because he has the love with Missandei, which honestly feels to me like just like they're setting it up just so he can die and it can be sad. So he's probably going down at some point, which, oh, I know. Well, he's in. The, he's in the, we get, we have the shot of him in the trailer in the finale. I did like. Yeah, that was a hell of a thing to witness. Again, like all you know, just the sheer. There were just certain images and moments that you know you've known are coming in some form in the story for a long time, both from the show and the books. And it is just like like you know, dragons burning the whites is just like fucking religion. You know, for someone who's been into into the story for that long, because that's been coming for a long time. Can we sidebar on that really quick? I want to know how you feel or how that felt. I was in the room when Cannon and I were together when that happened. But like, was that everything for you? Seeing okay, this is what it looks like when the dragons fight the enemy. This yeah, is it was how it looks. It was metaphysically cathartic for sure. I mean, oh, it's just been like obviously there's characters and themes and emotions and all that garbage. But you know, like underneath all that, like that that has been like the underlying promise of the whole story in both right. books and shows. At some mm-hmm. point fire meets ice and everything goes kaboom. So I didn't mm-hmm. enjoy watching it go kaboom. I felt like those were the dragons' natural enemies. Like they were fucking those guys up angrily. Pretty much. I mean, and I mean that is the idea. Like you feel very small when you watch that as just a human, and like you have the seven dudes sitting on a little rock watching a dragon fight zombies. It's like you're just kind of you know, even though you're undead and you have a Valyrian steel sword, you're just you're still just a dude. And then there's Daenerys Targaryen on top of the dragon, marshaling those three beasts. Riding all the way across the planet. Me yeah, too. I was gonna say, can we talk about her jacket some more? <laughs> <laughs> it's, pretty excellent. it's it's been verging almost on Star Trek quality at certain times, which I really like. Actually, mm-hmm. I'm glad that you feel that way because I know that in some cases, uh, a show like this or really any art piece that is so well anchored in the reality of the situation, something like constant outfit changes that look so amazing all the time, might pull some folks out of it. But I feel like there comes a time where it it truly does enhance it. And I know it's just a wild thing. And why would Daenerys change into that before heading north? But good Lord, it looked awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all, you know, there's definitely a, there's a melodrama to both books and show, but especially the show. And part of that is you have to like, you know, it goes with the big swells of music and the huge camera mm-hmm. shots. And it's like, you know, it's there's it, there's a there's like an like an old school Hollywood aspect to the show sometimes, which comes through in the kind of aspects like that, which I really enjoy. Yeah. I think it's what the show does really, really well. Yeah, it's 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 production value is 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 incredible. And giving us the moment with Sandor Clegane throwing the rocks or with, with Gendry being younger than all those other men and still the way that we feel about him, you know, being kind of junior to the experiences that collectively they share and no one caring and no one feeling offended and it just being a moment that they can all feel comfortable with each other, including John Tormund. I had a thought of Tormund fighting against John in season four and how they were they were enemies at one point. And then John trying to win back Winterfell from enemies from inside of their home. And Tormund was there with him, fighting alongside him, climbing up those bodies with violent you know, what I mean? it was it's just chaos surrounding them. And now they're doing this together and all that they've shared and like this, this crew of, of people and the subtleties between all of them. How did you feel overall about the frozen lake and the mechanics of, I guess, that sequence and how it all played out? Yeah, I agree. I think the, sh- the season is I think it hit the nail on the head. This season especially is doing a good job of leveraging the kind of the, the accumulated weight of story and experience on these characters. Um, just pulling in previous, like, like with Elena, like the callback to the purple wedding, it, it's just, you know, it's mm-hmm. a callback mm-hmm. at a functional level, but it's also 
utilizing a character's history really well in that in that moment in that death scene and then jamie got to tell cersei and then you got that amazing moment where cersei facially reacted to that news so like it's it's using its you know backstory with us and these characters really effectively um as far and as again it, it, it looks so much like young christian bale at this point it's starting to distract <laughs> it's wild it's amazing <laughs> yeah, like, that's it, so I, true i go back and was clearly there with younger joe dempsey too but like it's with the hair now and it's just physique it's just like it's and then he's like walking around like you have those ice scenes in the early parts of batman begins so watching him beyond the wall was very <laughs> very uh very very jarring in, in a positive way but um yeah, I mean, as far as the Frozen Lake goes, it was kind of silly to have Gendry run back and get the Raven. Like, there was, I usually am totally, like, time and space stuff doesn't really bother me much. But the only time it bothers me is when tension is supposed to hinge on it. Like, sure. I have no problem with Littlefinger teleporting to where he needs to be, because I don't care sure. what happens between scenes. But, like, when it's supposed to be suspenseful, and, like, there's, like, life and death stakes involved in the time... Then the time, like when there's a ticking clock, the ticking clock has to move in accurate seconds for for me to like, you know, you can't say we have, like, you know, there's things in movies where like, you know, we have two minutes to defuse the bomb and they show the clock with two minutes and then, you know, an actual screen time, it's five minutes. But they mm-hmm. get away with that because we're not really paying attention. But it's like, if it says two minutes and then it's like half an hour of screen time, you will notice that. Do you feel like it took away from the tension? I think it will. It, it didn't take away from me the tension in terms of like, watching the characters deal with the others and, you know, be among themselves on a threat. But like it, 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 it like, I would have liked to see, like he told Gendry to run back. And then like, you have like a, a quick cut montage that implies they're on the run from the others for a couple of days, like mm-hmm. with Corin half and John in like the second season, the second book, like where they're being tracked because otherwise, like for me, it's just, it, it's, it was too, too much of a, too much of a shift between what looked like, over the course of a night that they got all this done. And yeah, it was, it was then they come back to Gendry running. And it's like, yeah, it was a little, it, it broke me a little out of the tension. Um, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't take much to snap me back. And again, the character stuff and visually was amazing, but yeah, it was like, it's nothing to complain that much about. Like it doesn't ruin the episode, but it was a little, it did make me cock my head like a curious dog. Mm-hmm. It's just that stuff stands out in this show because everything is so good. Little things that make you feel uncomfortable, like timing and, and birds you know, and dragons come to the rescue. It's just something that I feel like we all talk about because mostly everything else is so damn consistent. Sure, you know, it's, it's just it's a, sort it's of a like shortcut a, to a good place, which is why it's ultimately okay. It's it, it's not a shortcut that they're making for a bad reason. Right, exactly. And I think as we rewatch with a very critical eye our third and fourth time of the week, that it becomes much easier to feel taken out of these scenes. But I definitely, the first time we watched it, you know, Oh, totally. I was just too hyped up on. Absolutely. But as I've gone back, yeah, as I've gone back, it's been much more noticeable. But, you know, I think that that's when, when I think we're all kind of starting to realize and understand when before the season started, when we're talking about a compressed timeline, this is what we're talking about. And these are just the sacrifices that unfortunately, I mean, and I've struggled with this going back and forth, but unfortunately, these are the sacrifices that we have to make because we just are so short on time. I'm just glad that in between all of these inconsistencies, as we've been talking about, we've got these incredible moments of the hound tossing the rock and realize, you know, as it skids, skids across the ice, you know, just little things like that, that I feel like to me have made up for things that I could be very 
and sometimes am very annoyed with. Oh, sure. The creativity is, is very winning. And yeah, that's the, that, that entire sequence was, was definitely great. Like the whites, I love that the, 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 the show appreciates that the whites are also kind of funny while also being mm-hmm. terrifying. Like they're mm-hmm. kind of just dumb. They're zombies. Yep. And zombies, there's always a comedic aspect to zombies. Oh yeah, they're bumping into walls and they like their heads look silly and like you know the the White Walkers are the completely legitimately thoroughly terrifying ones. But right. Oh yeah. The whites, it's like that. The same like they have the Sandor White standoff. It reminded me of something like <laughs> it reminded me of something like a, like a like a later day George Romero movie. Like yeah, like something out of yeah. Day of the Dead. Like where it's supposed to be kind of or like even like almost into Edgar Wright territory where it's supposed to be almost slapstick at that point when it's inchy because it's got no jaw and it looks so determined and it's almost cute like it's inchy it's so determined mm-hmm. it's, it's gonna lead all its buddies across the ice and it's just which works so well with sandor because he's just making fun of everything the entire time anyway Man. So, yeah i like that is <laughs> it, it's it's one thing i do like is yeah it's not being i was worried that the season was going to be pretty relentlessly grim especially after the yeah. first episode which i liked the first episode but like with sandor and the kid and like everything about that episode was like, oh my god, everyone is sad, right? So, which is still true of a lot of characters, but it's it's thankfully you have little moments like that. I mean, that's why Braun, I think, is still around and prominent in the show because they realize we really need some light in this. Right. Otherwise, this is just a season about like Danny burning people and Cersei being awful and John being sad and Bran not understanding who anyone is anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, even like the Hound being, you, you were talking earlier, Emmett, about your, these characters being inflated a little bit their personalities looking at people like the hound and tormund that and especially someone like the hound whose backstory we or who we've just been exploring a lot this season in terms of him looking into the flames and kind of what's going on with him and and the lord of light to blow up these parts of their personalities i feel like has been a especially with those two characters has been a really great counterbalance between what could be i think that's a great point what could be very dark all the time, the whole way through. Totally. I mean, and some characters lend themselves to exaggeration, like Tormund. I mean, his whole personality is being huge and larger than life. So ramping him up is, you know, whenever you want to do that, it works totally fine. It fits the character. His eyes just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Same for Beric on the <laughs> other side of things. He's so philosophical. Exactly, exactly. The Hound is so <laughs> intense and violent that, like, and, you know, and but also compassionate. Like, they're, you know, his, he is a very operatic character as is. So you're ramping him Man. up perfectly. Like, but for me, like Arya, like Arya's always been like always a very carefully balanced character. Like you don't want to go too far in any one direction with her. You don't you don't want to make her, you know, just like you don't want to turn her into Bran where it's just like she can't relate to anything anymore and she's just been destroyed. But you also don't want to for me, you don't want to turn her into the Terminator, which is what they kind of started to do a little bit in this episode. Like yes. so for me, like it, it depends on the character. I think some some work better. Like, you know, again, ramp up Bronn, give Bronn all the quips, have him laugh at everything because that, that suits him. Um, Cersei, again, just, there's, you know, the more, you ta- the ta- the deeper your tunnel into Cersei, the better. The more you make Cersei act like Cersei, the better she, her character can run with that forever. But like, yeah, when you start doing that to like the, the Starklings, it makes my heart hurt because. Yeah, Zach, what were we, we were having this conversation earlier about characters who, there's been a, a large conversation about some of these quips being fan service, which I haven't, I've agreed with sometimes and I haven't necessarily agreed with all the time because I think they've done it really well with people, everybody you just listed and, and people like Davos. I can't, who are we talking about that it wasn't landing for? I don't remember off the top of my head, but I just, I think that Arya is a good Arya. 
it may have been Arya. I think that that's a, a good point is that there are people, Arya is too complex to be able to kind of push this fan servicey type of dialogue in through her because I think that the weight on people like the Starks is too great to make it light in any way, shape, or form. So it's harder to land. Definitely someone like Arya who was so young when the show began and we've seen grow in such a serious way. We feel more equipped to understand her because she wasn't an adult when the show began, you know? So I think we understand a lot of her decisions. So seeing her face-to-face with Sansa and whether she's playing or not, and that was a conversation we had for ages on Monday. Um, and every day you know, since. <laughs> right. It's just, it's kind of a it's kind of a hand wave. And I wasn't sure how a lot of you listening felt about it, but after seeing your feedback, I know that we definitely feel uh, not alone. And I'm curious as to how it'll play out. I have confidence in the showrunners. We'll probably see it turn into something that I think is is good. Hopefully, that's where I'm going to aim forward. You know, I, I'd like to see Arya maybe have the cool, easy confidence of a Jack and Hagar cracking jokes in Heron Hall. But a man has guard duty, you know, stuff like that. I know that's not exactly her life, but I know that she's powerful. And I know that she's grown in, into being the person that she wants to be. And I think that, uh, I don't know, Ned Stark's daughter has confidence and doesn't need to overcompensate. That's just me. No, you totally agree. And a podcast. Say? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I wanted to see the Frozen Lake. I was look, I was watching it and I was thinking, what if, what if instead of sending Gendry off to go get Daenerys? What if it just at some point Daenerys realized that she wanted to help, you know, and she just flew her dragons and maybe Benjen instead of coming at the last minute and sacrificing himself for, I don't really know why. Maybe he, he like rescues them right after the, the white starts screaming and they all start coming and he, he comes in and barrels through the crowd and says, follow me. I know this lake or something, you know, have you been seeing people saying that, Benjamin's horse is like the new door in the Titanic where there was <laughs> yes. definitely room for uh-huh. two. <laughs> I know. I thought that when I saw it too, but maybe that's how Benjamin wanted to go out. He's a true yeah. Stark. There's plenty of reasons, but imagine if he would have been on that, that little Island with John, the kinds of things they could have said. I know that there was a promise in episode one that they would be able to have those conversations again when they spoke to each other. And it's something that I always looked forward to and thought that we would have in a way. And I was happy that they got to speak to each other again, but it was, you know, most of the emotion was shared in that look when he pulled his handkerchief away. Mm-hmm. Better than nothing, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I was I was hoping that when they reunite, I mean, it's clear at this point in the show they're going to get the story of John's parentage to him via Sam and Gilly in the annulment they stumbled upon. But I hoped I had hoped in the show that it would be Benjamin who told him. And yeah, that would have been if he had been on the the. At the lake, that would have been the time. That would have been very cool. They were just there, you know? Yeah. But mm, yeah. it's a thing. Fare thee well, Uncle Benjamin. Do you believe that Sam and Gilly revealing it to John? Like, do they know something that Brandon doesn't know with the power that he has? I don't really know how that all works together. They'll probably team up. Like, Sam and Gilly will give him the annulments, and then Bran will say, I saw them get married via trees and magic and such. Would be my guess. So he doesn't know about the annulment then? He might not. He might just have like seen Rhaegar and Lyanna get, right. like, get married via the tree. And then Sam and Gilly will have, like they'll put, they'll have the, the two pieces of the puzzle and they'll put them together for John. Where do you stand on, on this cosmic stuff that's come out? Stuff that I think you've probably been thinking about for a really long time, but has come to the forefront because of the nature of these past couple episodes with Bran and the technology of the green site and where the Night King 
comes in with that. I think a lot of it has to do with how prepared he was for the fight or, you know, for taking Viserion. The location of the frozen lake skirmish, I'm not sure if everyone realizes this, but I saw an image and I was like, hold on a second. I dropped everything I was doing, pulled out my computer, and I got so concerned about Game of Thrones. And I was like, it's a good thing that we make this podcast because this is a for real emotion right now. I'm digging through the episode and I found on season six, episode five on the door when Leaf is changing the man into what we assume is the first White Walker, that same Arrowhead Mountain in the background with the waterfall right, it being the yeah. same place in the show's lore yeah. right it's so cool and you start to think you know maybe we should let up a little bit on on the context of things everyone because it, it seems like there's a larger thing at work here what do you make of all this yeah i mean it's uh, again yeah like you said watching the metaphysical elements of the story come together was definitely fascinating especially now that uh, we, we have an ice dragon in tow, which kind of throws all the rules out the window. <laughs> it certainly shakes it up a little bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that is that is the kind of, that was the bittersweet kind of flip side of the dragons in that episode. They saved the day, but by bringing them there, Danny handed one over, and that's definitely going to, that's you know, that's going to be the ruination of everything probably in the finale. Mm-hmm. Where do you two fall on, I know it's a silly question, but where do you two fall on the brand Night King stuff. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm just curious. Emmett, you can go ahead. Maybe I'll just copy whatever you say. <laughs> I guess it's possible the show could go there, but I really hope they don't because it's a terrible idea. I mean, the, I feel like, like we have to talk about it, you know? Oh, totally. But like the the, the turn, like for me, like the 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 best things about the main characters in the story is when it's they're doing like bad things for the right reasons, or when they're like you know like, kind of having this ambiguous thing where they're doing, you know, questionable things with a larger purpose or they're doing the right thing, but they're giving it part of themselves. Like for me, like that's what makes Bran compelling is that he's like fighting on the right side, but he's given up his humanity to do so. And that's really sad. So like, if he's the villain, then there's like, for me, that's lost. And it's just like an empty blank boy who's becoming the villain like that. that there's no like real emotional charge for me that anymore. Like I would buy that if like Bran right now was, really intense and like caught between ideas and didn't want, didn't know what he wanted to do. And I could see that developing that way. But right now he's just like, he's just in the clouds and with the birds. So for me, there's not much of a charge to him going evil. Cause it's like, he's already lost the capacity to know what that even is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just kind of, a, it feels like it would all depend on the execution, but it feels to me like it would be kind of a cheap twist. Like it would be not, more than it would be like (laughs) yeah it makes the night king not as intensely scary for me because i feel like bran is somebody and and i guess maybe you know it would make his character the night king much more ambiguous and hashtag relatable i guess but i think that so much of his power comes from how much we don't know about the night king and we know a little bit and we get a little bit of his backstory sort of but i think that so much of of his power and what he wields is because there's a lot of questions about motivation and about what all of this means and so if it's just bran i feel like that simplifies things in the show that doesn't do anybody any good necessarily so i don't know i'm not into it I could see, I guess, where some of the theories come from, but I think that 
think that <laughs> we spent a lot of time this week thinking about how that could not be true. Um, so I don't but, know. But he's got but that is, outfit, you know. So that's <laughs> the that's my question. Then is in like, what has Brand's purpose been this season, and what is Brand? You know, we know he's a three-eyed raven because he's told us <laughs> millions of times. But but what is he doing, and what is he? What's his purpose been this season other than to kind of mold into his new responsibilities? And, and maybe that's it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, he's got, you, you'd think you'd come up with a more variety of uses for someone who can do pretty much anything. Like, I mean, he can, you know, you can use him as a hub to like tie all the storylines together with me, I would think would be the ideal use of Bran, right? Like you get him, like, you know, Sam's in the Citadel, they got birds. Have them start talking to Sam. And then you mm-hmm. come back to Bran with like the, the white milky eyes. Or you, you know, Tyrion's on Dragonstone right. and, the, you know, suddenly the drag, something's weird going on with the dragon. It looks like he's being, something's going on with his brain. And you cut back to Bran. Like have him connect all of the stories. He's, mm-hmm. that's what you do with like a seer shaman character. He like sees everything else and can tell everyone what's going on. Like, and yeah, I think that would, you know. And you maybe if you want to set him up as turning into a supervillain leader, I guess you could just have him going mad with power on that basis. But we're at such a remove from him at this point, which I like in terms of like, that's the idea that he's being detached from humanity and his, he doesn't really, it was very sad when Mira left and he didn't care. That was heartbreaking. Yeah. Like I get that that's the idea, but then if we're completely from a remove from him, then it's hard to get invested in what happens to him next. I remember our conversations about Bran just last season were sort of along the lines of, Brand's making a mistake that he doesn't understand and his mistakes of not understanding things like working into Hodor, possibly causing long lasting effects on him, which ended up being the case. His connection with the Night King. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I wanted to talk about. You know, all of these things being said, you know, we're not really referring to it in the same way now because he has this sort of master knowledge of things. We we are regarding him in a different light. It's viral that he might be the Night King, for God's sakes. Like that's a whole different twists on things so i'm I'm just curious because you know the stuff that happened to him being touched by the night king for example through the vision we have expected that that would have that it it would do something in the story i think apart from just allowing the white walkers to enter the protected area of the tree that might be the only use of it it might have something to do with something we'll see in the finale i'm not sure but we did see the night king touch a baby in the show years ago and when he placed his hand on that baby's face it turned into a white walker and we can assume that it grew up to be a fully grown white walker what does it mean for bran being touched through the vision was it only the tree or is there some shit that we don't even know about yet coming down the pipeline yeah that's that's those are excellent questions it's it's gonna be a trip in season eight with him for sure yeah yeah i hope that I hope that it means more and I hope that there's much more to it that just hasn't been important in the context of this season. And I think that a lot of the depth, can you say depth when talking about brand? I'm not sure, but a lot of that depth that we're not multitudes. Yes. (laughs) I contain multitudes. (laughs) All of that just isn't important right now. So we just haven't been focusing on it, but that it may come into a little bit more of play next season. But, you know, we have had lengthy conversations about, brand is he good or and i i mean i think that saying any of these characters that they're good or evil isn't necessarily productive but we've talked a lot about is he going to use his power 
for something that's going to help the people that we want to help? Or is this connection with the Night King going to be the thing that takes down the wall? Or is he going to tell John about his parentage? Blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of questions about about Brand and his his position. So I guess we'll have to find out. I don't know if we're going to get any resolve of that this season. I feel like speaking about Bran being touched through a vision and these metaphysical elements in general is kind of analogous to turning left and thinking about the deeper aspects of life and experience while a story is being played out. And we can either look straight ahead of us or turn to the right and see that very realistically, physical things are happening right now that need attention. And they still involve Bran and the White Walkers and Jon Snow learning about his parents, Daenerys, the Night King. And our second question, what is next for the army of the dead and their ice dragon? Wall is going to come down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is, again, in terms of things I've been waiting to see in both uh, book and show for a long time. The wall it's going to be in any capacity is definitely near the top of the list. Wild. Mm-hmm. This will eclipse dragons killing whites for you, right? Seeing something happen to yeah, that wall. I mean, dragons killing whites is just a little appetizer. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> a little taste. <laughs> Brand the Builder is somewhere crying himself to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got this uh, response from Clob on Watchers who makes a good point who says, I honestly didn't know how they were going to breach the wall before now. They could barely work together enough to get up to the ridge. Now they have a dragon. I'm sure that the piece that gets them that's the piece that gets them through basically Clob's whole thing is that the dragon is the clincher to them actually having any real ability to make waves or to actually do something and that now their power is like 10,000 more that they've got this thing yeah it's a force multiplier for sure I'm looking forward to seeing what he what he can do with it um, but yeah, it's again, like I said earlier, it makes it, you know, bittersweet that Danny did the right thing, but in doing so allowed them to get this weapon that could end the world. But also, it's yeah, it opens up the question of what their plan was earlier, which is fine. I'm happy to brush past that in the books. Like, that's a complete mystery, too, at this point. What the others, how the others actually plan to get through the wall. Right. Ice Dragon is awesome enough that I am, I am thoroughly on board. I think that that's all that could be next. Or he could just fly over the wall. <laughs> that's true. But what if, like, the wall's magic extends up to and he, like, he smacks into it like a bird into glass? <laughs> and then just, like, slide, like, the Night King and the Dragon just slide down the wall. Cabin in the woods. Cut to credits. That's my, this is my prediction for the finale. That's how it's going down. Wow. <laughs> You're already here first. Anticlimactic ending. Emmett's <laughs> <laughs> hot takes. Always playing with the expectations. Someone on Twitter said you should write the scripts for season eight. And I don't know if we're heading the right direction, man. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm pushing things much more in a classic slapstick direction. I'm thinking much more of a Three Stooges take on Westeros. You're going to love it. <laughs> Talk about okay. fan service. Indeed. Actually, you say right, guys. Sandor, Beric, and Thoros, if you brought them back, and actually do a decent Three Stooges escrutine now that I think about it. It's Is it wrong that uh, that's the kind of the stuff that I think about? I know the stakes are so high, and we got White Walkers attacking, and Daenerys is riding dragons, and Jon's about to become her cousin. But, you know, I kind of want to see the Hound and... Beric, yeah, down and Tormund, you know. Yeah. Well, that's Tormund is great that way. Like he's again in both books and show, he's there to remind you, like you know that for life all is grand good. fireworks. Humanity is just you know we just mm-hmm. stand around and we yell and argue and sleep and fuck and die and like and that's and we just we shouldn't take ourselves that seriously. Shouldn't, yeah. Which is great. It's very important to have again, like you have saddled Jorah Mormont and saddled Sandor Clegane and you know zombie Beric being the Sunday school teacher for everybody, but. 
Like, it's good to have, you know, Tormund there to kind of just laugh and make eyes at everybody. I think that's what we love about A Song of Ice and Fire, period. Yeah, totally. It's the, the range is great, and the secondary characters are so so good and fleshed out and important. And anyone do question three? Yeah, can we move on to, to question number three? Because I'm interested to hear what your guys' takes are on this. So our third question is, Jon Snow bent the knee. No big deal. What does this mean for the North? How will the Northern Lords react? And just kind of like this broad overall question of what next now that John has made this huge sweeping decision? We have a comment from Watchers from Kay, just to start things out. The North will bitch and moan and rant about John bending the knee, most likely. Then when the North is attacked and Daenerys' armies fight for them, they will instantly change their minds. The North changes directions with whatever way the wind blows. <laughs> yeah, I mean, once once the wall comes down, the side with the dragons is probably the side you go with, I would imagine. Absolutely. I'm excited to see. Yep. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> you're going to say. <laughs> I'm excited, excited to see how Sansa is going to handle this because I feel like a lot of what we've seen of her in this season is her building up her political prowess and her ability to kind of keep everybody strategically place and this is a lot of what Arya was making fun of her basically for the last couple of episodes but i'm excited to see her in this position because i think that she's going to play a big role in how the northern lords react or choose and i'm i'm curious to see if people are going to if people are going to try to rally behind her instead of john and if she's going to be the one to get them to rally behind john and what happens when the if and when the wall comes down and and how that convinces everybody to go one way or the other. But I hope that this is going to be, for the first time this season, an interesting conversation being happening in Winterfell. But we'll see. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I hope Sam kind of... There was that setup for that, it seemed like, when the Lords of the Vale were telling her that they came north for her, not for John. But I think that is probably set up your right for her spinning it around and trying, you know, getting everyone behind John in terms of uh, joining with Danny against the others. I hope that's where they're going. But we will see. Take that, Arya. Did you imagine seeing Jan Royce saying that to to Sansa? It's like, what world are we living in? It's so cool. It really is. I don't know. I really want to read more books. Anyway, that's completely lost my train of thought there. Uh... I well, this is a good question though that I have Emmett because I haven't talked to you about this. But how do you feel about John and Danny and him bending the knee and kind of their relationship? How has that landed for you this season? And what can we expect? I like where it ended up in this episode a lot. I like that what caused, because it was pretty clear eventually that they were going to work together, but I like what caused it on John's end is Danny turning her back on King's Landing and flying to fight the real enemy. I think that's great um, mm-hmm. that that was what convinced him. And I thought it was a really, really nice emotional moment when he was saying how sorry he was uh, about Viserion. I like that that was his opening line. Yeah, that was great. When, when he, he saw her. Played that yeah. really well, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, that left me in a good position. Um, I think their chemistry has been fine. It's, it's been a little, it's been a little like watching everyone, everyone in a group of friends try to get two particular people together because they really want it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> like someone gets up when they go to the bathroom, like there's all of a sudden there's the only spot to sit is right there exactly, besides John. Looking at you. That's kind of what it felt like with these two more than <sighs> organic development, which is okay. I'm fine with that. Again, I think it ended up in a good place. And there's good material to work with. The characters have a lot in common and have been paralleled in a lot of ways. Yeah, and there's definitely signs of it pointing that way in the book. So yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not my favorite 
couple, but I think it's I think it's well supported, and I think the actors are doing a good job with it. So yeah, I'm I'm on board. I'm 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 curious to see. I'm very curious to see the tone and how they handle them first getting together. Because um, sex scenes, man, are such. We've seen that in the books. You can it, the tone can turn to goofy so easily on you. Yeah, I'm kind of worried about yeah. that happening. It's tough when we have two characters like this. And if this is Endgame in the books, which I think there's been a lot of conversation about the fact that it is a song of ice and fire and eventually it will be. But um, what was I going to say? Endgame, John, Danny, sex. It, yeah, I got lost in my feelings about what that's going to be like. <laughs> um, but if, if this is the end game as it's going to be in the books, then I feel like I'm, I'm looking forward to that buildup and the way that the story is laid out from a written narrative, because I think that it's going to be satisfying on a different level. And so I think that it's been a little bit more abrupt for very obvious reasons that we don't need to go into. But the abruptness, I think, can lend itself to it being like cheesy or like all of the the fan vid that we made before the season started of <laughs> the music in the tonight. background waiting for tonight <laughs> um Gosh. and so I, I i i would hope that their scene that we're expecting next episode is going to be a lot like this last episode because as we talked about on our last episode it really landed for me and, and emma as you're saying as well this was a scene where i felt like it kind of was coming together and so i hope that the the tone is reminiscent of that and not of the cave but it's been such a roller coaster that who knows if there's anyone to bring two people together i guess by example of their own wickedness it's like comparatively speaking you're all right it's to go right into cersei's house and just she's got kyburn there she's got the mountain there who knows what she's got planned you know what i mean this will be a test this is true for everyone involved can i just say speaking of secondary characters i love the dude they got to play kyburn i wish they gave him more time Oh yeah, <laughs> we love Kyburn. He's just like he's got the smile on his face and that way where he like ever like all of he doesn't there's lesser. nothing obviously wrong with him, but clearly everything is wrong with him. His hair is just greasy enough, exactly. And just like whenever he interacts with anyone but Cersei, they just look horribly frightened. <laughs> it's hard to disrespect him. He just walks. He just walks so slowly. Just again with that grin. It's just it is that is pretty perfect. And it's like he's just he gets the sense he's like he's been looking for a patron like Cersei his whole life. Yeah, like this is his big moment. Yeah, this is his this is she is his money ticket and she he's gonna ride it till whatever possible end. How do you feel about his potential knowledge among I guess above most others on the nature of the undead if the white is brought before him? Do you think we're gonna get a sequence of him going like charming? Uh, very curious. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's oh that's great. No, I could totally see him like while well, everyone else is like horrified, him having like a very like medical reaction, like, hmm, love to have that in my lab. Let me see what we got here. <laughs> what if it's the only time we see real pure enthusiasm out of Kyber and he's like, Oh <laughs> You you must let me take a look at him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like he gets this huge grin on his face. Yeah. His hands are like <laughs> I actually yeah, they just they kind of bug out. <gasps> oh mm-hmm. never seen one of these before. And then Robert Strong gets all jealous. Oh, he's he hates that white so much. Oh man, I want this as a spin-off now. Robert Strong is competing for Kyburn's affections. Okay. That sounds amazing. I want to circle back on the question and just pose this to both of you and ask what you think. With the Northern Lords being annoyed at John bending the knee, this being the final episode of the season, how much do you think this is actually going to be in effect? Or do you think that it'll just be something that we're aware of and that they don't really give screen time to? That maybe like a typical Liana Mormont in the hall saying you know the north is you know 
nothing. I was know. born here. You know what, I mean? what do you think? <laughs> do you think it'll be an issue? I feel like Daenerys with dragons, they're at Eastwatch, at least docked outside of Eastwatch in the Lovecraft. What if she swoops in like Queen Alyson? I mean, that's a consistent thing in the series of like people are having an argument or being angry at Danny, and then dragon shows up and they swoon, which I guess, right. which I get because dragons are, you know, amazing, beautiful, ridiculous creatures. Um, so I could totally see that would be helpful since she just kind of womp landed in like the courtyard of Winterfell. Uh, that would be pretty great. And that could, it, and that would be an amazing scene. And also if the show wants to short circuit that particular plot point with the Northern Lords getting angry, that is the way to do it. I think mm-hmm. so. Yeah. I do think though, what we're talking about earlier, just, I think that Sansa has been built up to play a role in that conversation. So whether or not that conversation is short or long, I do think that it will happen a little bit. Oh yeah, she'll get a speech of some kind. And I think you're on the money that it's going to be like re-channeling yeah. support towards John. yeah. Well, we haven't gotten Pack survives, Lone Wolf dies quote yet. That was mm. in the trailer that I've been waiting. Uh, excellent point, yeah. Since excellent the day point. I was born for. <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you the second that that comes out of Sansa's mouth, I'm going to scream. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if that's kind of all I hear you. connected. I don't know. Can we go on to the most important question that we asked this week? I think it's time, yeah. <laughs> the question is verbatim, all lowercase, how hip are you for Clegane Bull, LOL? <laughs> Which I think is a funny and important question. <laughs> but I don't know. Is Clegane Bull going to happen this season? I mean, they're going to be in the same place, right? So We should ask our illustrious guest. I mean, we brought you on the show because you're you're your sincere well of passion and knowledge for the series. We need to know how hype are you for Kalimbo LOL? <laughs> <laughs> Lukewarm LOL, to be honest. I think it's, okay. like I would buy it more in the context of Cersei earlier in the story of Cersei still being on trial. And like, that's being a central event. But in this context, it would be like a sideshow, which I think would be weird. Like we're here to do right. the thing with the others. Oh, and also, in this arena, a bell goes off. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. In one room, we'll have the panel about what to do about the others. In this room, we're going to have the panel about the game ball. Like, mm-hmm. that, like that would be kind of an odd narrative structure. But then again, this episode is super long. It doesn't look like they're doing much else besides like King's Landing and Winterfell. It seems like it's just the two locations for this. And mm-hmm. let's talk about narrative structure this season. Okay. Let's talk about it. So it's not out of the question. <laughs> it's, no, of course. It's entirely, again, like you said, same place, same time. And you got to deal with the, the zombie in the room eventually. At Dancing Sean from History of Westeros, who dances and writes haikus, he posed a a theory i guess really a scenario and i'm not sure if we talked about this one night at con of thrones we might have but i think we should talk about it now because it's i don't know because because why not he was foiled on lady stoneheart i'm sorry um our opening ceremony and hannah's betrayal wonderful betrayal thank you uh, portrayal of uh of her he thought game bowl could be i guess improved or i think no i think it was more sincere than that i think that he might have sincerely thought that the game bowl should be or maybe would be refereed by lady stoneheart <laughs> i just want to know your feelings on that before we go to Ohms. if you give me 30 seconds i can pull up the exact quote of what he okay, said good. in the context that it was set in because yeah, that is amazing I just imagine what do you like, like a whistle around her neck, like a skull whistle. And it goes in her throat so she doesn't have to use her mouth. <laughs> well, so this is before this is before Sean was spoiled for Lady Stoneheart. She, he didn't know who Lady Stoneheart was at this point because this was the 
day before the opening ceremonies when we were having this conversation. And I don't know how LSH or Clickable came up, but as it does when we're all hanging out <laughs> with each other, we were talking about it. And Sean just goes, I hear ladies, or I don't know if he said ladies on our LSH, but he said, I hear LSH is the ref for Clickable, not knowing what either or what lady stoneheart was and it was probably the funniest thing in the world like imagine her in like a striped jersey mm-hmm. a hat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in a perfect world you know if you could dream up something it would be it would be that it would be that right there <laughs> it would make no sense yet it you would know, make all the sense in the world the blackfish is in the crowd cheering you know he's supporting his sister but she's not competing but she's there you know, she's a part of it i like this yeah, indeed. what does hype may never die With this week's release of the Season 7 soundtrack, finally, we thought nothing would be more fitting than having all of Ramin Javadi's amazing work playing behind our owns this week. Get the soundtrack on vinyl. First up, we have Jill Van Sickle who says, I took a lot of thinking, but my own goes to this episode and making me accept that I'm totally into an incest love story. <laughs> Next up is uh, Wazhe99 saying, my first ever own goes to Theon Greyjoy and his two-week vacation at Dragonstone. Hashtag all-inclusive, all-inclusive, hashtag factor 15 sunscreen. Theon. Matt Sheed, own to Danny for telling John she didn't want kids before their first date. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda Taylor owned to Sansa for sending Brienne to King's Landing before she's forced to choose between Arya and Sansa, dot, 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 and into Jamie's arms. From Carolyn Bailey, owned to Tormund, just here to have a good time, kill whites, make friends, have giant babies with his lady. Hashtag monster babies, 2K. <laughs> Julia, my own this week goes to Drogon for being the only character who seems to understand zigzagging, saves lives, hashtag... R.I.P. Rickon. Christina Serafin, who says, owned to Benjamin Stark for going out like a real hero and for finally letting one of his living family members take his horse. From uh, Melissa T7, owned Ghost for staying safely out of this nonsense. Hashtag white ghost, not white ghost. Color versus white, 2K17. Randy Getz, owned the Night King That's for funny. constantly thinking of new ways to be an unbelievable... <laughs> <laughs> to be an unbelievable badass without ever saying a word. Say that five times fast. I can't. <laughs> Philip the Humble with a very hilarious own says simply, own goes to plot armor. Gotta love it. Yes, indeed. From Disco Pheasant, own to Wall Slug, <laughs> a.k.a. Littlefinger. I may not like his methods and he may like slinking against walls a little too much, but damn is he effective again. Now someone get some salt. <laughs> you get all the hashtags. Wall slug. <laughs> Am I next? Yep. Please. Yep. Oh, thank God. Sean Pink at Dancing Sean. Three dragons flying. Seven northerners are trapped. Blue eyes has a plan. Hashtag game. Mm. <laughs> Drinking GOT. Own to Dan and David for giving us another delightfully anticlimactic name for an insane <laughs> battle scene. From Jeffrey. Own to the Night King's Hall of Fame quarterback arm. Real. Football's back. Blue Winter Rose won. Own to John for winning the heart of his queen through self-sacrifice, bravery, and a kind of respect Danny has never received. That's sweet. Also abs. Also abs. <laughs> also his smoldering eyes. Allison Weimer owned to Benjamin for being the lone wolf so the pack could survive. From Amy T at South County 2012, owned to my family for us all crowding into my uncle's basement to watch tonight when we haven't seen each other in three years. Hashtag best reunion ever. That's the sweetest. Wait. Danielle Holloway owned to Tormund for saying things, just all the things he says. 
perfection. At Abinara, own to Danny's tailors for killing it with the Dragonstone Winter Coat Collection. <laughs> Hashtag Westeros Fashion Week. Hashtag Danny's OTD. <laughs> Love a good OTD. From Jarrett Smith, own to Tyrion for low-key recommending democracy for Westeros. Hashtag Danny's <laughs> Good luck. By the way, you're on Beats with Milik and not again. 2K17. <laughs> Ouch. Ali Sparkles, owned to Danny for putting her on her best dress to go scoop up her man. Hashtag John Harris, uh, 2K17. Hashtag I see you, girl. Hashtag we all do it. <laughs> Hashtag yes. Hashtag relatable. Pam Planet Tall, owned to Jorah for getting over grayscale so he could get up on some black scale and staying on. Few. Phew. From two parts rye, owned to Gendry for completing two thirds of the Westeros triathlon, rowing, marathon, swimmer competition, results pen. We're waiting Ooh. for the talent portion. I'm fanning myself <laughs> furiously. Wayne, owned to the hashtag Eclipse 2K17 for being my cover for playing hooky tomorrow while I really watch this episode on repeat. Excellent. Jen Cameron, owned to Arya's wrinkle free brand faces, even after being stuffed in a random bag under her bed. Hashtag travel smart. From Steve hashtag. Howard, owned to everything about that hound and tormund conversation and Clegane Bowl fucking confirmed. Hashtag Air horns, <laughs> hashtag what is tight may never die. Hashtag Clegainepole 2K17. Emmett just said Clegainepole is confirmed, so it's real. It's real. I was tricked. <laughs> Damn you, Steve Howard. Ian Wagner, owned to my scream as my sexy ginger was about to be pulled into the sea. Hashtag not my torment, you bitch. Hashtag you do know her. Hashtag torment and Brienne 2K18. <laughs> That's really Molly funny. Weasley. Richie Green, owned to Westerosi Home Depot for providing the chains needed to haul Viserion out of the lake and for its flexible hours and lack of discrimination against the undead. Hashtag more saving, more doing. Hashtag dragons hauling chains aisle seven. Hashtag you can do it, we can help. <laughs> From Emma Dunham, owned to the Westeros Olympics program for advancing the entire season seven plot. Swimming medals to John, Braun, and Jamie while Gendry runs away with the track and field title until the Night King comes out of retirement. Hashtag Olympic Rings. <laughs> <laughs> Real. Ronald Kenneth Holmes, owned to Daenerys for being the first Targaryen to head north to the wall since Alison Targaryen, who had the queen who had I'll the Queen's this. crown built in memory of her. Hashtag history of Westeros. Scott Harati owned to Jorah for being a dragon rider before John. Hashtag finally better than someone. Hashtag dark horse dragon rider. From Sean Arevalo, owned to me for not spoiling this shit out of this episode on Wednesday. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Good job. Julianne Elizabeth Ramirez. My own goes to Rhaegal for PCing out. Hashtag screw you guys. I'm going home. Hashtag 2K18. Ian Loomis, owned to everyone watching who screamed Ice Dragon at the end. <laughs> Me. Chelsea Chapman, own goes to the Hound and Gendry. Some days I'm Gendry. Some days I'm the Hound. Hashtag whiny bastard. Hashtag quit your bitch. And finally, Kate Bell. There is no owns, only tears. Two dragons on our side. Mm-hmm. One dragon on their side. See, there was a major loss in the last episode, Hannah. It's just... No, there was. Know. It was just different. Different. Well, that was our last section of owns, collection of owns, before the finale. We have one more episode in season seven before the long wait. It went by too fast. True, again, with a fewer episodes. Fewer, Emma, for sure. can we get your hot take? Final predictions, thoughts and feelings. What are we going to see? Yeah, I think we're going to see the big effort to convince Cersei go down pretty poorly. I think maybe she'll feign belief or she'll really believe them. But like you said, that won't actually change her intentions or actions. She'll still be on team very much for the evils. Uh, John and Danny will hook up at some point And there will be, I'm sure, some soaring string section and like all their friends will be outside. Soaring. Like, standing uncomfortably. <laughs> like Davos from the Sanda interior will just be standing there looking very, very awkward. And like Perfectly in line. line. Tugging their collars the entire time. 
Winterfell, Sansa gets everyone on John's side, and Arya cuts off Littlefinger's head, and there was much rejoicing. And then, yeah, at the end, like the guitars from Fury Road start playing, and the Night King gets on his dragon and blows up the wall, and then cut to credits. Can we? Can you just say that again? <laughs> I'm imagining the guitarist from Fury Road is is like riding an ice spider, like behind in the army of the dead while he's flying and he's playing like an ice guitar yeah that's pretty much what yeah that's pretty much what i got in mind yeah oh my gosh maybe you should should be writing for season eight here we go (laughs) every form of media should have the fury road guitar guy he makes every scene better well that's how i feel about you coming on this podcast thank you so much for coming on this weekend thanks for having me guys it's always a blast we were so excited we said emmett needs to be with us near the end so we can all be together near the end. So yeah. thanks for, That's for what sharing your insight. About me. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized we haven't asked your own for this episode yet for Beyond the Wall. We should get that out of the way. It's important. My no, my my own is for to Jorah for turning down the sword. I'm generally not a fan of Jorah Mormont, but that was quite classy. It was. That's a good own. I mean, he did have two obsidian daggers on him. So True. perfectly fair. Yeah, he's not not exactly a beggar at this point. He could have just said, "Nah, I got the real shit, kid." <laughs> <laughs> Emmett, where can people find you across the internet? You can find my main blog at uh, poorquentin.tumblr.com. Uh, that's Quentin with the Y as the character in a Song of Ice and Fire, or at Twitter where it's just Emmett Booth or at Poor Quentin. And my reviews for season seven of Game of Thrones can be found over at Deadspin, the concourse section of Deadspin. I apologize for misattributing it in the beginning of the episode. How dare you, sir. (laughs) Remember reading on the stuff from Vulture. It's just, you're, it's prolific. You know, I remember the stirrings and how this all sort of began and how we all came to know each other and just seeing how it's progressed and, you know, the practice that you've put into this story and all of its surrounding, I don't know, bullet points. I can't think of the word. It's various minutia. Yeah, man, it's been a blast. And like, you know, being at the con was a, was a terrific time and great way to express that. So I'm grateful for that as well. We're really grateful that you came. We had a, a, a really fun time. Oh, yeah. Before we go, I wanted to ask this toward the end of the episode, because I'm not sure how much it has to do with exactly what we're doing. But with what we know about the Winds of Winter, you can listen to one of our previous episodes with Emmett from back in the day, which I think was this year, uh, a couple months before the season. Knowing what we know and knowing your thoughts and theories, and if you were an attendee at Con of Thrones and you attended Emmett's sermon on the Eldritch Apocalypse, which you can find on his blog, with Euron Greyjoy positioned in the current place he is now, knowing what Cersei might pull, but also just in context with the books, how are you feeling about the likelihood of this stuff happening? Maybe that Maester's quote did a little something for you. What do you think? I mean, the, it's clear where they're going. My big kind of uh, books to show takeaway from season seven has been, you know, Euron's major contribution set up in the books are something to do with uh, binding a dragon and sourcing a dragon somehow with the giant horn he's got. And I think there's strong setup for him eventually being the one to bring down the wall in the books uh, via the Horn of Winter, the little horn that Sam's carrying around. Right. Um, so I think what I think might have happened in the adaptation is that the showrunners and the writers decided, look, you know, we have the, the Night King character, we have this leader for the others set up. We want him to be doing big dramatic things. You know, we have Euron kind of as a supporting character. So I think what they did is they took the, those roles from Euron in the books and gave them to the Night King in the show, which is why he's taking a dragon and bringing down the wall. So I think for me, like they kind of shifted the focus of that particular, those particular aspects of the end of the world, I think, to the, to the Night King, which is totally fine. I think, you know, he's the a more singular, like the show needs a, just visually a singular antagonist for the others. You know, in the books, they can kind of function as a kind of a swarm and very mysterious. 
But I think in the show, you need like one, you can need a dude you can point at. Um, just if nothing else for marketing purposes, you need that. Uh, so I think giving him those roles from your in the books was, a, I think, a, a fine adaptational choice. But I think that is an adaptational choice they made. And what is your take on Euron this season adaptation, but also standalone for the sake of the show? Sure, sure. I mean, like, I can't, you know, the, the, the weirdness and the apocalypticness of Euron in the books is something I miss dearly. But um, actors clearly have a hell of a time. He's great. He's a lot of fun. Uh, he, I loved watching him in battle in the second episode. Uh, they've, they've kind of merged him with certain aspects of Victorian's character from the books. Mm-hmm. I think you like that, you right? <laughs> yes, but you know he 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 works for me. He it's disappointing for me in that he doesn't. He's not an escalation of villainy. Like he's not worse than Ramsey, which is you ramp up towards the end of the show. Like for me, like you want to kind of ramp up how serious your villains are. Like you know, Joffrey to Ramsey was a pretty clear transition. I mean, because, you know, Joffrey was horrible, but also kind of a brat and small, and Ramsey was older and a little more cunning and more dangerous. Um, I wish they kind of ramped it up again for Euron, and they didn't really do that. But he's he's still a hoot on his own, so I'm, I'm thoroughly fine with that. Um, I am curious to see what their endgame is for him, though. I don't know. Part of me, like, he thinks he might just, like, he might be there to, like, just be, like, you know, like, while, while everyone else is dealing with the others, he'll just steal all the stuff. Or he'll or he'll burn a bunch of things down. It's like you know he'll just he'll he'll kind of wreck things while everyone is dealing with the main problem. Might be what they do with him in the show. I'm curious to say. Yeah, me too. I want to revisit these Euron conversations after the season. If you'd be so kind to come back on the show soon, sound good? My pleasure, whenever, guys. Of course. And what did you think, just real quick, about that little bow? Oh yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was that was pretty adorable. Glimpses. Yeah, no, yeah, that glimpses. Was, that was great. No, and his his aside to to Jamie about what she likes in bed. Was pretty classic Euron, you know, given with his history with the Victorian. Yep. That is pretty much what he loves. So I, I do appreciate that. For those of you who are in New York City, we will be getting together for season seven finale. Um, if you want to head to tlnw.party, that's the long night's watch dot party, basically. Um, you can check out details. You can RSVP. We've got an event out in brooklyn so we would encourage all of you in the area to come make sure you do rsvp because space is limited and we would love 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 to see how this season plays out whether or not clegamble happens how sansa dominates the scene whether or not we Ooh. see you on again we'd love to experience <laughs> that all together so tlnw.party and we'll see you on sunday we're gonna hold each other through the long night all of us everyone at once <laughs> it's gonna be hard to do Emmett. Thanks again, man, for coming on the podcast. I know we've said it. This has been the longest outro ever, but this was such a blast. And it's been the midday, best. Hannah's right up town for me. She's going to watch some football. We're going to get together. It's just, it's been so fun. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, man, it's always a delight, like I say. Thanks for having me. That's it, everyone. Sunday night. It's it, all over. <laughs> it's so surreal, but I'm excited. Yep, yeah, me too. Have a good one. We'll talk to you later. Bye.